Welcome to Thinking Like a Lawyer with your hosts, Ellie Mistal and Joe Patrice, talking about legal news and pop culture, all while thinking like a lawyer, here on Legal Talk Network. Hello, welcome to another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. This is Joe Patrice from Above the Law, and with me, as per usual, is my colleague, Ellie Mistal. What kind of world are we living in today, Joe? Well, I mean, I understand the surprise. Of course, we're referring to the big news, which is the shocking announcement that Bob Stoops is resigning as coach. Oh, is that not what you were talking about? No, I was talking about the fact that the former director of the FBI just admitted under oath in the Senate confirmation hearing that the president obstructed justice, or at least tried to. Yet the Republicans, all they've got is, oh, well, the president wasn't under personal investigation. One of the things, I'm just going to go right into my grind because it's just, I know you're listening to this later, guys. Um, We just got through with the uh, Comey testimony in front of the Senate. And one of the things that's that's just crashing my brain is that President Trump is so myopically concerned about whether or not people think that he gets pissed on by Russian prostitutes, that he is so concerned about that, that all of the information and evidence that he is obstructing justice, that his campaign colluded potentially with the Russians to influence in America, all of that is is tertiary to this myopic concern about do people think that I get pissed on by Russian hookers? That's our world, yo. That is the world in which we inhabit. I mean, well, sure. But, I mean, getting pissed on by Russian hookers, not that I I don't want to knock it having not tried it, but I would imagine that that's something that people view as sufficiently embarrassing they they don't want to get out. The hearings, yes. I wouldn't go so far as to say that Comey said anything about, like, that obstruction of justice happened. He certainly, and he, I think, my takeaway was he's the world's greatest witness. I would have killed for any of the various people that I prepared for interviews with the government or depositions to be as unflappable and as unwilling to take the bait on questions like, shouldn't you have done something else when that happened? And they yeah. always, always want to please who's asking the question, say, well, I tried, I blah, blah. And he just like, yeah, I mean, I guess I might have been cowardly there. That that was a mistake. And it's just like, unbelievable. Comey's testimony should be... Uh like witness prep 101, right? Yeah. And you you said the exact right word. There was a point, the part of the Republican defense of of Donald Trump is that, well, James Comey couldn't have really felt like Trump was obstructing justice because if he had felt like he was, he would have gone to somebody, he would have talked to somebody, he would have complained, he would have resigned, he would have done all these other things. And Comey's response to that has not been, well, I did this and I did this and I did that. His response, as you exactly put it, was like, yeah, maybe I could have handled that better. He literally says in testimony, look, I'm not Captain Courageous. Like, boom. Like, you just don't get witnesses on the stand under harsh questioning who are willing to admit their own personal failures. Yeah. And thus be able to show how their personal failures have nothing to do with the testimony that they are given. And that's a and, and that's a tactic, right? Uh, if you're a prosecutor, you want to put people on the defensive like that. You want them to try and explain what they did. Part of it is there's a natural myopia, to use a term you've already used, on the part of the prosecutors to think that everybody has 20-20 hindsight. They, it should be 20-20 foresight, and they're, 
they like to think. But it's also, even beyond that, they will ask those sorts of questions because people have this natural reaction to flounder and try to say, oh, no, 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 I, I did, I did this, I did that. They they use that to get stuff out of folks and to make them feel like they're under the gun and potentially want to give more to make up for something. And he's just not going to, he just, he knows the game, uh, as evidenced by the fact that he's a lawyer for many, many years and a law enforcement official. He he knew exactly what was going on. He didn't take any of it. It reminds me, it honestly, great. it reminded me of how I talked to my wife. Of just, uh, no, no, uh, you're, no, I didn't do that. You're right, honey. Yeah. I, I didn't wash the dishes. Mm. I'm, a, I'm bad. At that you know you that, gotta try to explain like oh but i actually did i i worked here and i took out that trash no i didn't i'm i'm bad at that that's right sorry that's right for the record after we just described james comey the director of the fbi as the greatest at something ellie found a way to say that that was exactly how he is at being a husband yeah, yeah, like, yeah. right like james comey is to testimony in front of the Senate Oversight Committee, as I am to being a husband. You are the James Comey of husbands. Yep. Actually, that was the best part of the hearing, the revelation that Trump's inviting him to dinner, apparently, required Comey to break a date with his wife. Yes. And it's like, dude, Trump canceled Comey sex night? That? <laughs> now, now it's on. Now it's time to impeach. So yeah, so we had uh, that discussion. Uh <laughs> So that that, that is a that is a thing that we just did. Uh, this maybe it's time that we transition into something. We you need know. a guest. Yeah. So let's set up the guest a little bit before we get there. So in recent days, there has been some some changes in the world, which is the University of Arizona a while back decided to start accepting the GRE along with the LSAT as a way of getting into the school. Uh, that caused a firestorm. Well, I would say nobody cared because it was Arizona, but. But that's not true. Uh, LSAC decided to make a big deal out of it, and most of the other schools in the country came to Arizona's defense. Since then, it spiraled up, but it really hit the fan when Harvard announced that they were going to go down that road, too. You and I have, I think it's fair to say, different opinions on this. So we wanted to talk about the GRE versus the LSAT and what it means for the future of law schools. Is this future of law schools? Is this a good test? What all can we talk about with this? And so... Our guest is Jay Thomas. He's the executive director of Kaplan's pre-law services or programs. I'm not an expert on the titles uh, over there. But Jay, you're joining us because you deal a lot with, I mean, it's test prep. You deal a lot with both the LSAT and now, I assume, starting to get into the GRE now that it actually intersects with your life. Sure. So talk to us a little bit about the two tests and the, the differences First question, how much referee am I going to have to do between you guys? <laughs> Quite a bit or just a little? A little, a little. You're going to be more uh, president of the Senate Judiciary here. <laughs> Fair enough. You know, the jury, it's 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 interesting. The jury versus LSAT debate, uh, what's right for students, what's right for law schools. Lots of folks come on different sides of this. You know, the GRE is the most versatile of the graduate school admissions exams, if you will. It used to be just the catch-all test that students would take to go into basically any program that was not law school or business school or medical school or some sub-free health programs. And then a couple of years ago, uh, the uh, business schools across the country started saying, hey, you know what? There's a lot of overlap between what was tested on the GMAT and the GRE. Both have quantitative reasoning. There's a lot of logical reasoning thought in there. There's analytical writing components. So maybe the skills tested in the GRE are as applicable in the business school piece as uh, the skills are that are tested on the GMAT. And so we saw a lot of business schools, and frankly, now most of them across the country, will accept either the GMAT or the GRE for the purposes of business school admissions. 
And now we have a we have a universe that we're in right now that you guys know all too well, where law schools are clamoring to find more applicants. We have been in historic declines in the number of students applying to law school, and law schools are grasping at straws to try to find ways to make the admissions process simpler for students and attract more candidates. And so the LSAT has historically been one of the great barriers of entry to law school. It's, it's only given four times a year. It's a very difficult examination and has these things called logic games that are puzzling, no pun intended per se, <laughs> for students, whereas the jury is more accessible. It's got math, it's got reading comprehension, sentence completions, the things that are like traditionally seen on standardized tests that students have grown up with. And so some law schools have done the required investigation that the ABA requires that says, you know what, the jury can be as predictable of first year success as law school. And since they've done their homework and made their case, now they're able to use it and enter Harvard as uh, sort of a, a really putting themselves at the forefront of the debate and saying, we're going to be the trailblazers here and we're going to be the guys to do it. And I suspect we're going to see a lot of schools following suit in the coming months. Jay, I don't want to gloss over something that you said, because I think it's important to think about how we got here in the first place. And I think you, you yeah. eloquently pointed out that when business schools started to take the GRE, there was an assessment and an understanding that the skills that were being tested on the GMAT were largely overlapped with skills that were being tested on the GRE. And so there's a logic there to why both were considered. Doesn't sound like law schools went through the same kind of thought process, right? It sounds more like law schools <laughs> were thinking, how do we get more students? They weren't thinking, how do we, is the GRE an overlap for what's taught in the LSAT, which everybody agrees is actually the harder test of the three. Um, it sounds like they were just trying to get some more applicants. Let's put it this way. There is undefined rigor required to prove out the validity of the standardized test that is not the LSAT. And uh, absent the ABA coming out and saying, here are the new standards by which uh, new tests have to be accredited, if you will, uh, law schools are sort of free to say, we've got the data, boom, ABA, and off they go. But I mean, so I'm, I'm much more fine with the GRE being a test than Ellie seems to be. I just, I'm fine with it being a test. Yeah, I, I just don't understand what the argument is. Uh, you, you know, we're talking about overlap. It's like they both have reading comprehension sections. It's not like the GRE's reading comprehension section is written in crayon or anything. I mean, it's the same right. thing. You read something and answer some questions about it. Yes, it has math, which the LSAT does not. But, you know, are we really losing anything as far as predictability of somebody's ability to do well in law school by not forcing them to answer, Peter is bigger than Richard and Willie's half the size of Johnny. Please arrange what porn movies they would be in. I don't, like whatever, whatever those analytic games things, what does that have to do with law school success that can't be dealt with with another standardized test, especially one that has a logical essay question, which is one thing that the GRE brings. What does the LSAT have to do with law school success? Listen, nothing's a perfect measure here, right? And uh, there are just no other factors in the law school missions process that are as predictive as the LSAT. And that's one of the reasons it's risen to such prominence in the application process. So the LSAT's not perfect. It's the best that we got. Um, the jury is also not perfect. I think the real question here is not really which is most predictable of success in law school. I think the question that's going to not be answered, unfortunately, for another three or four years is what happens if these swath of applicants who were able to earn entrance to law school based on a GRE score rather than a more rigorous LSAT score, 
what happens when they go take the bar? Are we actually going to be seeing less qualified candidates three or four years from now? And frankly, only time will tell. And that's the big question is, does the LSAT and its difficulty stand as a barrier to entry, if you will, that really helps us weed out some of the less qualified applicants? And will the GRE be able to do the same thing? We won't know for a while. Well, one data point that we have uh, to suggest what's going to happen is that we've already seen a brain drain from law school in terms of LSAT scores. In law school's kind of greed to get as many students as possible through the doors, the median LSAT score of people admitted to law school has been steadily dropping over this last almost decade now, but certainly over the past four or five years. And now we have started to see the effects when it comes to bar exam passage rates, which are cratering all across the country. Right. And yeah. And how does this have any bearing on that? I don't see the connection. The GRE opens up the capacity to bring in more students, but in a different way. A lot of schools now are lowering their standards for LSATs by saying we can take people who aren't as good at the LSAT. That has that effect. The GRE option, though, is just saying to people who might be contemplating going to grad school and becoming a PhD in history that the same test could potentially be used for law school. If anything, it only, to my mind, increases the, there's a only a risk that is bringing people, smart people, back into law school who might not have been doing it before. Hence my <laughs> second objection to the GRE. <laughs> Go ahead, Ellie. We, we, already, we already live in a world where people end up in law school, not because they really want to be lawyers or have thought through the rigor required by the legal practice. We end up with people in law school because they don't want to get a real job. They want to be in school for a little bit more. And law school seems like a thing to do, right? We already have those people. Now we're going to add in people who maybe I want to get a history PhD. Maybe I want to get a political science PhD. Maybe I want to go to law school. And then let me take all the tests in the world. How does that help people succeed in the legal profession if you're opening up a whole nother avenue um, for people to get into law school who perhaps haven't fully thought through the kind of commitment required to be a successful attorney? Yeah, the fact of the matter is you're both right here. I mean, there are going to be some well-qualified candidates who would not have otherwise considered law school because of the rigors required of the application process, who are folks that we want in seats in first-year classes, who are now going to earn them because they are well-qualified and will be there even though they're late to the game deciding it's a good thing to do. But Ellie is absolutely right as well that on the flip side, it's going to make those fly-by-nighters, those folks who really don't know what to do with their lives, this is going to make this option even that more attractive to them. Let's talk about it on the ground in terms of pre-law students, because I know that's your focus at Kaplan. Um, It's one of our focuses here um, on the site and on the podcast. What are we advising a 22-year-old student who is thinking about about this? What are we advising them to take? Are we advising them to just take the GRE and roll the dice? Are we advising them to take both? Um, What's the plan here? Listen, as as a general notion, freedom of choice is a good thing for students. Anything that allows them to have more ability to put their best foot forward in the way that they define it. Generally speaking, that's a good thing. But from a practical perspective, as it stands today, there are two schools and only two schools that are accepting the GRE for the purpose of admitting first-year law students. That's Arizona and that's Harvard. So if a student is considering applying anywhere else in the country, and I'm hard-pressed to find a student who thinks that Harvard is the singular place to which they choose to apply, uh, that's (coughs) a reach school and a dream school for virtually every applicant. 
they're going to apply elsewhere. They're going to want to apply elsewhere. And that means they got to prep for and they got to take the LSAT. So why students would bother to layer in additional GRE preparation? There's time and expense, different content to worry about. I think we're, we're a little ways away from suggesting students take both tests and figure out what's best based on the schools they're applying to. The advice as it stands today does not change. Take the LSAT, take it once, prepare for it once, get an awesome score, and leave no doubt about your candidacy at all the law schools to which you choose to apply. That hasn't changed yet. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think you're right based on where we are right now today in 2017. But I do right. think that once Harvard does it, the chances, I mean, Northwestern is already- Northwestern already is investigating. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like other schools are going to do this, I think, in pretty short order. So I think, yep. you know, 2019, we're going to see maybe half would you say half, Joe, of the schools that, 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 that accept the GRE within the next two, three years? I think that's probably true. And then that calculus is going to change, I think, for students. I think at that point, people will be trying to figure out which test they think they can get a better score on. I mean, maybe is the true answer to your question. In fact, I'm, uh, I, I don't know if you guys have, have read this, but the ABA is considering a new measure that they are uh, opening up for comment right now that would state, I'm going to paraphrase this greatly here, but right now, basically, the ABA requirements say that all schools have to use admissions test. You must use the LSAT unless you, school X, can prove that some other standardized test is as predictive as the LSAT. The ABA is considering a fairly substantial rule change that would say Law schools must use the LSAT unless the ABA has in and of itself determined that a different test is as reliable as the LSAT for the purpose of predicting the first year of law school performance by a process that is yet to be defined by the ABA. If that passes, that will essentially cut Harvard, Arizona, Northwestern, any other schools off the knees if they're considering making this change unilaterally. So a lot remains to be seen in the space to see, you know, with all the politicking between ETS, the test maker for the jury, LSAC, the test maker for the LSAT, like there's still a lot of question marks in play here that could drastically change the outcome two, three years from now. I mean, I think it's an open question. I mean, it's a great point. And I think it's an open question from the ABA perspective as to what do they want to do? Do they want to yeah. keep and raise a high barrier to entry to the legal profession? Um, the ABA clearly benefits from having some barriers to entry into the legal profession. The ABA wouldn't sure. exist but for barriers to entry into the legal profession. Do they want to continue to raise a high barrier? Or because their member schools are suffering, do they want to lower the barriers to entry so their member schools can get more students in there? That's exactly right. Yeah, I just, I still balk at this whole way in which Ellie chooses to talk about this, is though <laughs> the GRE is like the little drawing that you do to get into the art school on the back of something like it's actually a test with hard questions uh it is not hard yes hard yes okay i mean did did you take this test yeah yeah it's, and how'd you do i did bad. Just, just about as well as you did on the lsat is my guess I within mean, context only because i borked the math because that well okay well so Yes. So the issue is actually you're kind of going the other way. Because you're bad at math, you think that we shouldn't have this test. If anything, that means this test is is a better barrier to entry uh, because people have to do math. But that's what gets me is these tests, to my mind, the role of tests in the admissions process is because grades at different schools mean different things. You can't say somebody got a 4.0 here versus there. What does that mean? The standardization is the key. And to the extent you have a standardized test that is of some level of difficulty, that's all that really matters. And I don't understand why we have given a monopoly to 
LSAC to create this one test when a lot of the key skills that a lawyer would need, reading comprehension, the ability to write arguments, ability to write period, which the GRE has, which the LSAT, you know, certainly didn't in my day. Those skills are there. And so I don't see why it's a bad test. But then again, you just said the standardization is the key. And so how is a school supposed to really choose between an applicant with a 3.5 from an Ivy League school with a good LSAT score versus an applicant with a 3.8 from a good state school with a high GRE score? Like, how do we choose between now non-standard standardized tests and obviously the non-standard GPA? Percentiles. And, and remember, keep in mind, too, the LSAT was a test that was purpose-built for the purpose of law school admission use. It was a test whose questions, largely unchanged since 1991, was designed to test the skills that law students do on a daily basis, where the jury was not, right? Mm -hmm. And so law schools are looking at a bunch of candidates from a bunch of different schools. And by the way, there is no particular major that is more advantageous admissions process than another. And so you got students from different schools, different backgrounds, different majors, different age ranges. And this LSAT was not just designed to be a number on a piece of paper that levels the playing field, but really to say there is a baseline of skill that we want every student to have coming in the door. Do they have it or do they don't? And we're going to purpose build the test that actually tests the things that lawyers do. And that was the original of the LSAT. The GRE doesn't do that as deliberately. I think the other, I think when you say it wasn't designed just to be a number that levels the playing field, I think one of the reasons why it has become that number is not actually because of anything that the ABA or law schools or LSAC can do. It's because of U.S. News. Um, sure. U.S. Without News is the, is, then becomes the strain through which all of this is shoved into. So you get the result of this school is number one, this school is number 30, this school is number 212. Looking at the LSAT scores of admitted applicants becomes a huge factor in how U.S. News ranks its law schools, which is why doing well on the LSAT has become so important to getting admitted into law schools. In a world where the G, and this is, I guess, I'm going to slightly agree in a way with Joe because of this factor. <laughs> Hold yeah, on, it's... we have a sound effect for that. <laughs> it's like a klaxon goes off. To the, it's hard, but to the extent that the GRE makes it more difficult for U.S. News to standardize that input factor, um, it probably makes all standardized testing a little bit less important to the admissions process as a whole, which I would argue is not a bad thing. Uh, you're not wrong. I <laughs> mean, in, in, uh, I, in a brilliant PR move, I, I think, you, you know, Ellie, as a former grad, uh, Harvard Law uh, dropped a bit in the U.S. rankings this year from one position to the next. Uh, the very next day, they announced that they will be utilizing the jury for law school missions. And so it was a beautiful way to change the narrative in the face of what could have otherwise blown up as, uh, as a potential negative story for Harvard Law. Yeah, because, you know, going from two to three for Harvard Law was I know, a it's big, really, it's quite, quite big draw, deal huh? for them. It was hurtful <laughs> for them, right? I mean, look, this is how you, with the GRE, is potentially how you get lower LSAT scoring students into your law school who are otherwise really deserving candidates without napalming your U.S. news rank. That's correct. Right? I mean, that's got to be part of the, of the thought process here. Well, in the in short schools. term. Right. I mean, in the short term, but I think I think that can't be utilized as a long term warrant either one way or the other in this argument, because your point, which I agree with, is that now that Harvard has done it, more and more schools are going to do it at a certain point. There's a critical mass such that that doesn't that doesn't matter. 
last question, and I already kind of referred to this, but I, I want to hit it a little bit harder. Let's talk about the math. One of my arguments for why the GRE will not sweep the nation is that lawyers and are lawyers in part because they are afraid of math. They shouldn't be afraid of math. Math is important. It's the language of the universe. Yeah, I mean, you're going to have to take torts. You should know math. <laughs> you know? But lawyers are afraid of it, and the LSAT, the LSAT is the one postgraduate standardized test that you can take <laughs> and not have to add two-fifths plus two-fifths. So do we think that it's positive in a way that the GRE might force some students to actually learn some be- – and like the GRE math. I mean, I said I right. worked it, but like it's not, it's not hard. It's not multivariable freaking calculus on that, right? It's four-fifths, by the way, in case you're willing <laughs> to take a test again. I was, aware. Okay. I was so aware that I constructed that so that the answer would be four-fifths as opposed to three. That's how aware I was of what the answer was going to be. Uh, I didn't even do the math. <laughs> so, Jay, I mean, you deal with pre-law students all the time at Kaplan when they come in, do they have any desire to learn math? Are they scared of the math? I mean, part of the reason why they're scared of the LSAT logic games is because it's math-ish. Um, like, how do you how do you help uh, pre-law students with that? Listen, students are scared of anything that's foreign to them. And uh, be it mathematics, be it logic games. I mean, the beautiful thing about both is that there are very definable methods that you can teach students to implement regularly, and they will see their scores drastically improve and quickly by virtue of implementing those methods. So they're they're the most susceptible section to test preparation. But listen, if your biggest hang-up on going to law school is whether or not you have to deal with math or logic games, maybe you should be re-examining your priorities. That's, that's just my point, right? Like, that should not be the ultimate determinant factor here in whether or not you are a good law school candidate. You'll learn it. You'll learn to learn it. You'll learn to love it. I couldn't agree more. And I and I've said on this podcast before, but like the logic games, honestly, if you're if you're listening and you're a kid, you're thinking about learning law school, the logic games are the only section of the LSAT where you can guarantee getting full credit for the entire section because the only section on the test where all the information you need to answer the question is in the goddamn question. <laughs> Yeah. Once you learn how to go about them, they become really easy. Draw the damn picture, and then you win. We we, we might debate some nuances of that point some other time, but uh, but I hear what you're saying. <laughs> That's all I got, man. It's uh, I think your ABA point is so crucial because if the ABA allows schools to do this, I think that within two three years, all schools will do this. And if I the ABA right. doesn't allow them to do this, then then this uh, this podcast will be resigned to the dustbin of history. Yeah, fair enough. I think we'd still be able to look back on it and, and enjoy it. It won't be the dustbin. Um, yeah, so I think that's right. But thanks so much, Jay, for joining us and uh, walking us through this disagreement that where Ellie's just wrong. Oh, and you have a Twitter handle too, right? I do, yes. yes. It is uh, Jay Thomas KTP. J-T-H-O-M-S-K-T-P. Real simple. Great. Thank you. And thanks you all for listening. If you are not already subscribed to the podcast, you should. That way you can get every episode when they come out. Or you can listen to it on the Legal Talk Network app. If you are listening to it through some sort of a podcasting service, like, I don't know, like iTunes or something, be sure to review it. Be sure to write a review. Those things matter. They move you up in the rankings on the uh, internal algorithm that Apple does that controls your podcasting destiny. Also, just tell people about the show because there's no reason not to just yell from a street corner like a crazy person about how they should be listening. And read us on Above the Law, where we do most of our work. Um, my Twitter handle is at L-E-N-Y-C, and I'm doing the Lord's work on Jeff Sessions, just so y'all know. Yeah. Um, 
sure. Uh, I am uh, I'm at Joseph Patrice, also writing it above the law. And with those things said, I think we're done for another episode. Peace out, guys. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. You can also find us at AboveTheLaw.com, ATLRedline.com, iTunes, RSS, Twitter, and Facebook. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.